McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at Mac, as we learn the moments that their path from Mac became unconventional. Most of us will not experience a dramatic life-changing experience, and that is likely a good thing. In this episode, I chat how just such an experience in Iceland profoundly changed the life of Nicole Rakowski. As Nicole recovered, she found purpose in life through fitness and competition. Nicole is soon to be a three-time graduate from Mac as she completes her PhD in Health Administration and Policy and is currently a patient experience specialist at Hamilton Health Sciences, as well as sessional faculty at the DeGroote School of Business. I think you will find great inspiration in Nicole's unconventional journey. So, Nicole, what made you choose that McMaster was the place you wanted to be and the program that you selected to, to study and pursue? What was what was grade 12 Nicole thinking at that time when she made that choice? That's a great question. I think it brings me back to, my goodness, uh, a number of years ago now. I think there was a few factors that sort of helped me in my decision in choosing McMaster. One, it was I was close to home. And I've done different um, practicums during my high school years at McMaster. I was sort of familiar with some of the already existing faculty members. You know, I had family members that worked at McMaster, both in the university sector and also in the health sciences part. So I would say I'd had a strong affiliation growing up. Um, you know, even just being born within the hospital side of things and having friends that also were going to the university. But hearing about some of the incredible programs and the experiences that McMaster had to offer was definitely up on my on my radar. So I'd say a combination of things. I wasn't sure if it was necessarily one thing that drew me to, to wanting to go to McMaster, but definitely a sort of cumulative um, number of factors that drew me. So you chose once you got to Mac and you went through your first year, you ended up um, in the life sciences program. Was that an easy decision for you? Like, were you always sort of like interested in science? Right. It was. Science was definitely highly on my radar. And I actually, first year university, I went to Guelph University and then I had transferred over to McMaster. Um, and it was initially a very tough decision in grade 12, choosing between McMaster University and Guelph. And the reason why I chose Guelph was more of the, it specialized a little bit more in biological sciences, which I thought I was going to go into and thought I was going to enjoy the program a lot more than I think I did. But what I really did miss was that connection to home and some of those experiences that not necessarily necessarily wouldn't say that I wouldn't have received at Guelph if I stayed at Guelph, but I think there were just programs at McMaster and some of the courses that I had heard about that really drew my attention inward. And the fact that I could specialize in different areas, I focused on environment and health, I focused on, um, you know, not necessarily only that biochemistry piece of things that everyone sort of has to take going through life sciences and the physics and the sort of basic foundational courses, but it was that you really got to design your own path in life sciences. And for me, I had a huge interest in environmental health sciences and how the two sort of interplayed into one another. So that course sort of stream and direction really drew me into um, McMaster. And you've sort of continued your pursuit of um, academia um, post your undergrad degree. You did a master's in global health and um, 
you're you're a PhD candidate right now, right? Is that still correct? That is correct. You're not you haven't graduated yet from what I I have not. No, it's I'm doing it on a part-time basis. So it's gonna be quite a, quite a while before I, I graduate, but I've I'm almost completed the coursework and then it's on to the dissertation and the research side of things. So did you just know that you still wanted to do some more some more time in, you know, studying and learning in the university? Right. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, I had this sort of master plan um, for my academic pursuits and how my career path would look like. But I definitely saw myself originally actually going to medical school as my first choice. And my initial thoughts were that I would go into medical school. And then once I had a clinical background, I would then use that knowledge within the administrative world and complete an MBA or potentially a PhD in business. So I've always been very business savvy and have enjoyed working in the medical field. And I always wanted to amalgamate the two interests, but was really uncertain how to do so at first. So I wouldn't say I had a specific plan, but I had an idea of what direction I wanted to head in. That being said, I didn't end up going to medical school and my thoughts changed as I grew both within the academic sector and given the experiences that I had along the way. And again, some of those that were provided within the life sciences stream, but also um, post that completing my master's and, and starting my PhD now. Yeah. So, I mean, you you do have a job, so we'll talk about that in a sec or two. But, you know, I think um, oftentimes people come back um, when they're working full time to do a master's or an MBA or do pursue that PhD. How's that been? Like, have you been, have you felt like you've managed it? Has it been like overwhelming at times? You kind of ask yourself, what am I doing sometimes? I should be doing something else. Or is this what you really love? Like, how are you balancing that? Because that's, that's, that's a lot on someone's plate. <laughs> it is absolutely. And I think a part of that as well as that, you know, I like to consider myself a fitness athlete and, and competitor. So that's another whole part of my life that, um, you know, I, I think some people are very surprised to learn about. And I, I do get asked that question quite often is how do I manage the time, you know, being um, competing full time, uh, well, partially full time as an athlete, working full time, pursuing my PhD, um, teaching a sessional faculty within McMaster and being involved with other side projects, whether it's committees or um, different events at McMaster. But really, I think my key, and of course, this may not work for everyone, is being extremely well organized with my time and prioritizing what is the most meaningful to my personal life. I also find that I, I am someone who can never sit still and I get bored very easily. So it's, you know, the motivation to do better at something that really keeps me going. I find that I also enjoy routine. And sometimes if I'm not able to strike a balance between routine, I feel completely out of sorts. So um, and again, as I mentioned, athletics is one of my greatest goals in life. So I treat it as one of the most important aspects of my life on top of work and school and treat it as equal in terms of priorities. Yeah. And you do sleep, right, Nicole? Like I'm just checking. <laughs> you sleep, right? You do get some sleep. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. It, it really grounds me and, you know, it allows me to be more successful in other areas of my life, right? So it's certainly not easy and it will take a little bit of sacrifice in some areas, but proper prioritization, planning, uh, communication, it, it is possible to, to find a balance. I, you know, I have an incredibly supportive system at home as well. And, um, my friends, my current partner, my family, you know, their, their encouragement and involvement is is truly my fuel. Within the past couple of weeks, I, you know, I had a competition on July 30th, another one on August 6th, and I really could not have done it um, for the group that came out to support me. And it, it really is a team effort. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I am today. 
So, um, and yes, I do sleep. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad you sleep. So let's talk about a little bit. So you, I mean, fitness is important. I mean, that just helps us to be so much, you know, like we all, sometimes it's easy to push that off to the side, but you've not done that. You're putting that as part of your very important um, work that you're doing. So talk to a little bit about like, why is that so important to you? And what, what are you competing in for those who may not know you? Yeah, so it's actually bodybuilding. So um, very unique, I'd, I'd say, fitness stream. And, you know, I sort of grew up playing sports my entire life. And unfortunately, due to several injuries that I've had, I was no longer able to compete in competitive sports. So I think fitness was more the safer route, not saying that it's easy by any means. It's definitely hard training, hard diet, a regimen. You have to have extremely strong willpower to get through it. But I think this was a safer option for me and one that I've really grown to love. So you've had a couple of health challenges that have been along the way. Um, one that got you um, uh, in the newspaper uh, about a trip to, to Iceland. So you were going on a trip to Iceland and having a great experience. And then something happened that sort of changed your life. Do you want to share with everyone a little bit about that story and maybe reflect on what you learned about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my experience in Iceland was definitely an unexpected one. I can just give a very brief summary. So this was when I was uh, 24 years old. My goodness, time flies now. So about six years ago, um, I really faced this life-changing accident. And this was during a vacation with two of my good friends. And we were hiking in a valley that essentially had no cell phone reception on the last day of our vacation. And we really wanted to see one of the most popular scenic valleys in southern Iceland. It was this geothermal area, absolutely breathtaking. Um, and it featured some of these hot water streams flowing down a mountain range where visitors can, you know, uh, go in and essentially bathe in these hot springs. So there were these boardwalks that were built on either side of the river, but there was no steps down to the actual hot springs. So tourists really had to walk down to the bank themselves. There were no signs that were indicating, you know, the area is dangerous. However, you could really evidently see that these hot springs were ridiculously hot. Uh, you could see the steam coming out. And so I was the first one in my friend group to step off of the boardwalk onto what I thought was a hard uh, mud bank or surface. But to my shock, I, I broke through and I sank up to my shins in scalding water that was acidic. And I knew right away it was burning hot. So I started screaming at the top of my lungs and I could feel the bubbling on my feet and making its way sort of slowly up my legs. So it was absolutely scorching hot and I, I couldn't get out on my own. I was sort of scraping at the moss on the sides with my nails and I just started screaming, you know, I'm burning, help me. And my friends pulled me out of the river and I just remember looking down at my feet and thinking, oh my God, what? just happened to my legs. And it was truly the rescue effort that saved my life. Um, there was a team that helped by carrying me um, and emergency services sort of met us up the mountain. And then I was able, so I, I got to the hospital in Iceland as soon as possible, went through the debriding and sort of the plastics procedure there. And then I flew home and was admitted to the burn unit at the Hamilton General Hospital. So that's sort of the summary of the experience and in terms of how it really led me to finding my passion, I've truly believed that most traumatic experiences lead to growth and finding meaning and creativity and adversity. I've always been a strong believer in that. Um, one example that I will give is that I have 
always been heavily immersed in sports my whole life, as I have mentioned. And after being told that this experience may lead to me not being able to engage in sports at the same level that I have always been able to, challenged me to not give up, but to push harder, even if that meant failing multiple times along the way. So one of the most incredible books uh, that I've had the opportunity to read since the accident is Viktor Frankl's book titled Man's Search for Meaning. I'm not sure if you've ever read that book. No, but it's uh, for those of you who haven't had a chance to read it, I would highly recommend it. Um, so he states in the book that in some ways suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment. It finds the meaning and this couldn't be more true. So I found that I've you know, not only recovered mentally and physically, but I've recovered in ways that have led to resiliency and growth beyond what I ever thought was possible. And I've had so much appreciation of life and an appreciation of strengthening my close relationships. I've developed this sense of identification of new possibilities and the purpose that I've had in life to really pursue my passions and in, in fitness more so now than at any other time of my life oh, what a I mean a horrible thing that happened to you and don't wish that on anyone but you've been able no. to turn it around and, and use it to figure out what really matters for you in life and that's probably a gift in some way that you figured it you know what 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 makes what's important to Nicole no, for sure. And I think, you know, since this time as well, I've had this greater awareness and utilization of personal strengths that I've developed as a result of this and, you know, had um, the mentality of nothing will ever hold me back from advancing, whether it's fitness, academia, whatever it may be. But this creative growth and enhanced development has led to these positive experiences that, um, you know, I could not have experienced otherwise. I think that trauma you know, does for many people going through traumatic events, shapes up our world and forces us to, you know, take another look at our cherished goals and dreams. But many people tend to rely on a particular set of beliefs and assumptions about the benevolence and control of the world. But when we're struck with a traumatic event, it typically shatters our worldview from ordinary perceptions. And then we're sort of left to rebuild ourselves. So I had to tell myself that I have no choice, but I have to make the best situation. And I found that within my my love for athletics. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your day job. So what fills your day? So is my day job. So I am a patient experience specialist working at Hamilton Health Sciences. So I work full time uh, within the hospital sector. There's patient experience specialists that um, work within health clinics, community health centers. Um, so I receive and resolve escalated complaints that come in from patients and families to the hospital. So Hamilton Health Sciences is made up of various hospitals within the Hamilton area, as well as the urgent care center. You know, we cover the Jurbinski, McMaster, Hamilton General. St. Joe's is not a part of us, although many individuals think that um, they are. West Lincoln as well. And, you know, within that, so we provide guidance to staff, patients and families in regards to um, some of our policies and procedures. It could be uh, medical directives, custody agreements. Um, but really what we aim to do is to respond to inquiries from patients and families and resolve any sort of complaints uh, or concerns that come through and, and try and find these process improvements in the system where we can improve that patient experience for patients and families coming in. We also 
you know, lead a lot of corporate projects. Um, so we have something called the experience-based co-design in which we sort of help to um, facilitate these process improvements uh, across the organization um, and various other working groups that um, we're involved with. So how does one get that job, right? Because that's not a job that most people would go to a job board and find that title. So did you know about this? Because it's not a typical job. Right. Yeah, it's not one that I typically actually knew about either, like going through my high school years, my undergraduate years, master's degree. But it, it all started out when I first started working for uh, the president and CEO of Hamilton Health Sciences. And that position I got through a practicum in my master's degree. And from there, it sort of segued into other positions that I had at Hamilton Health Sciences. So um, subsequently to that, I worked in public relations and communications. Um, and after that, I was working on a program uh, called Health Links, which really targets the highest users of the healthcare system that utilize the majority of our resources. Uh, and the thing is that a lot of these positions that I've ha held at Hamilton Health Sciences were contract positions. So uh, once they were coming to an end, you know, you sort of make the connections, learn about different departments, learn about different positions within the hospital. And uh, I became very close with some of the work that was happening within patient experience and developed a, a true interest in, you know, working with these patients and families more on a different sort of level. And they had an opening. So I, I applied and have been working there since. So it's been quite the amazing experience um, coming up on almost three years now. So time has flown by. Yeah. And I imagine it's been it's been challenging. I mean, it's challenging for everybody in the healthcare system right now. Oh, absolutely. Especially like everything that has been going on over the past couple of years has been definitely a, a new unprecedented experience for for many of us. And how do you keep yourself in the, you know, a good spirit? Like, does it, you know, because that's a high pressure job. How, how do you manage that? Yeah, I, I think you know, there's different lessons to be learned. Um, one of them is knowing that everyone's sort of going through it together, right? So these unprecedented experiences, these heightened volumes that we're seeing, these workloads have led to many um, lessons. You know, I've really forced myself to engage in some serious and consistent self-reflection about what's most vital to me and what means most to me. So I think it's that grounding. It's taking those minutes to just pause and reflect. I think amongst most of that was the question of how much do I really need to be, um, you know, in a routine of having that physical presence of other people in my life as well, right? That's something that that COVID has brought upon many of us. And I also asked myself the question of, you know, what really stimulates or dims my creativity or enthusiasm and productivity? And within this, I've definitely found that, so again, the physical outlook um, and maintaining relationships over these past couple of years um, has been key to me. So the encounter with uncertainty has definitely driven home, you know, messages for myself that we're not necessarily in control of everything in this world, but it's taught many yeah. of us that we do need to develop the strength and handling adversity and coping with uncertainty. So I think it's really acquainted us with our limitations, but it's also allowed us to gain a better perspective of ourselves during these times. Well, it's made everybody sort of like, it's been a lot, but it also allows, you know, in some ways, everybody had a moment of reflection and figured out yeah. what they liked, what they didn't like, and have that moment to kind of make those changes. So it's, 
it's a different world right now these days. Exactly. And with some of those changes, like for myself personally, I've considered letting in a little bit more risk into my life and, you know, never taking anything for granted. I've always found myself needing excitement and novelty in life. And I think that throughout the pandemic, I I just never let myself get bored. And I've only wanted to attract new ventures and opportunities, right? So regaining that equilibrium um, and thought, you know, prioritizing again, what's most important, having that line of sight. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we've got the fitness part that we talked about. We've got your, you know, your academic side and, and your career, but you're also a sessional faculty member at McMaster. So you're, you're teaching. Yes. So what bring, what, what does teaching bring to your life? Oh my goodness. It has brought so many wonderful senses forward that I can't even describe. First of all, working with students, working with students of all different backgrounds. I find that, you know, you're not only teaching them, but you're really learning a ton from them. Um, so I think that it has been so rewarding in more ways that I could have ever hoped for. Um, even, you know, as simply as throwing out a class assignment and, you know, you're genuinely reading these papers with such interest, not for the sake of grading or for marking, but you are reading it because you are learning so much from the students. It's, it's been incredibly rewarding. I enjoy teaching immensely and working with different individuals and different faculty members. So it's something that I definitely hope to continue um, doing, and I will be teaching this coming fall again in environmental and environment and health course, which I'm looking forward to. And is that in person or or hybrid or fully remote? It will be in person. Yes. So back in the classroom. Yeah, at least uh, to my knowledge, I know the course that I will be taking. So my very last one, my PhD, it might be a little bit of a hybrid approach, but the one that I will be teaching is um, said to be in person. So. You've got a lot on your plate, but let's just sort of flash forward five years. What do you think you want to be doing? Yeah, that is a great question. <laughs> I So what's next for me? I think professionally, I see myself, again, being an athlete and continuing to aspire in this direction. Uh, I do enjoy the work that I'm currently doing at Hamilton Health Sciences, being a patient experience specialist at McMaster, a PhD student, um, as I mentioned, sessional faculty as well. And I and I don't plan on stopping any of these pursuits. So I would say within the next five years would be to amalgamate all these interests and passions into one. So the question that I'm constantly asking myself is how can I bring fitness and athleticism into the work that I'm currently doing? And how can we promote more active lifestyles amongst individuals in the community? You know, I want to personally share my learnings and experiences and know you know, how can I be helping others? I have already started some of this within my PhD research, for instance. So um, the topic as it currently stands is answering the question of can government digital based health, you know, policies, strategies and approaches designed to prevent control or reverse obesity be used to enhance public engagement and improve population and health systems? I'm hoping that as I continue to work on this research, continue working within the public sector and continue uh, pursuing my passion within fitness, I'll be able to educate on this topic in the future and become a known expert in this field, essentially. Excellent. So let's go back to like first year Nicole. What piece of advice would you offer first year Nicole now? Oh, if there's, I mean, there's so many unanswered questions that I still have myself. However, um, I, you know, I have met so many incredible individuals along my journeys. And if there's one piece of advice I can give or offer for individuals that are listening to this, it would be to network whenever you can. 
Uh, to me, this has become an avenue of exchanging ideas and you can never tell how much you know without listening to other people. I think that success in any direction is truly largely attributed to the pool of information or ideas you have gathered over the past. And when you have different networks that are created, it fosters this trait of ideas to sustain long-term relationships and mutual respect. When you receive ideas, it helps both in your place of work and also, you know, outside of work. And it makes you a more, a lot more noticeable and creates different avenues for newer opportunities. So for me, one of the biggest things that I've noticed that improved my creative intellect is really connected with like-minded individuals that are able to share ideas um, that have strongly developed, you know, their intellect to foster growth in their own career path. And they're able to unleash that creative talent within them. So I've noticed for my personal self, it's led to some long lasting relationships and friendships um, that I've helped to channel and, and build my career. So network. And I think that's scary for some people, right? To think that they got to go out and they got to say, hi, I'm Nicole or hi, I'm Karen. I'd like to talk to you and stuff. But really taking that first step really helps them along the way. Exactly. And that's essentially how I got into Hamilton Health Sciences is I took that first step and I introduced myself to the CEO and gave him a 30 second elevator speech as to why I thought some of my research, some of my work in my master's degree um, would be beneficial to Hamilton Health Sciences. And I sort of tried to, to brand myself. Um, it, it is scary. And I guess the worst that can happen is you're rejected, but then you try again and you pick yourself back up. And it's all it's all an experience. Excellent. So as we sort of um head to the end of our, our discussion today. Let, let's go back a little bit in memory, Elaine, with um, some rapid fire questions. And the first one I'm going to ask you is, do you have a favorite memory from your time at McMaster? Yeah, uh, you know what, I think it's probably going to be while in my undergraduate years at McMaster, I had an extreme fascination for environmental science courses, as I mentioned. And I enjoyed learning about environmental sciences and health-related issues. And, you know, I was always mesmerized by how intertwined environment and health is. And, you know, for instance, I'll just give you a quick fun fact. You know, the oceans regulate the global climate and they mediate temperature and drive weather, determining rainfall, droughts. They're the world's largest store of carbon that people don't usually know, where an estimated 83% of global carbon cycles actually circulated through marine waters. And so I was able to have an opportunity to travel to the Ile de Juventude, which is also known as the Isle of Youth in Cuba, to study marine conservation, and I was able to tag sharks. So there was a period in my life where I truly thought I was going to become an elasmobranchologist, which is a shark researcher. Um, and I definitely understand that shark research isn't maybe as glamorous as many people may think. It's like any other job filled with hard work and numerous rewards along the way, but um, I was very impressed with some of the researchers that I was able to meet along the way um, and some of the professors, which I'm, I'm now actually working with and just, you know, understanding that some of these animals um, have a massive impact throughout the food web and because they directly and indirectly affect all levels of the food web, you know, they help to maintain structure and healthy ocean ecosystems, which then directly impact our health. So I would say that that course and traveling down south was probably one of the most memorable um, trips and sort of growing moments for myself in undergraduate. 
isn't Shark Week coming up? Isn't there a Shark Week or something on television? Are you a big fan of watching that? Or- oh, I am a huge <laughs> Shark Week fan. I always joke with my colleagues that, you know, it's Shark Week coming up. I have to take the week off, but it never ends up happening. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it, I've been able to work with some of the researchers on the teams on Shark Week and have had some incredible experiences over the years. So, um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize the the importance of marine ecosystems and how changes in ocean temperatures and currents, mm-hmm. you know, can lead to alterations in climate pattern and changes around the world. So, all right. So then what what's one thing you learned about sharks that would surprise people? Um, huh. See, it's funny because I know all these facts about sharks that I then sort of assume other people know. Um, but I think the number or different types of sharks um, is something that, you know, surprised me um, the most or the fact that sharks do not have bones. Um, <laughs> that's something as well. And, you know, sharks have been around for a very, very long time. Um, and scientists can actually age sharks by counting the number of rings on their vertebrae. So I'm not sure if any of those facts are interesting or if they're common knowledge or not, but I think off the top of my head, those are some things that come to mind. Well, I just learned a lot and I'm, I don't watch shark week, but I feel like I've learned a lot about sharks now. Um, so when you're working out, do you like to listen to like a podcast or is there any kind of music that gets you going? Yes. Um, you know what? I haven't been the type to actually listen to music while working out only because I've typically, if I'm trained or someone, I have to be listening to the individual that's um, putting me through the workout. But only recently when I've gotten into competition mode and I have zero energy left, and I just need that extra hype pushing me through. Definitely a lot of R&B <laughs> that has gotten me through. Um, and I would say when I'm doing cardio, I, I started watching some Netflix uh, series. I think podcast I, I did in the past, um, but it was hard for me to focus just because I was trying to get in the headset of, you know, pushing through my workout. So something that I didn't have to necessarily devote 100% of my attention to, just sort of background. So, you know, the pandemic, I'd like to say it's over, but it's not quite over. And many of us have bought things over the pandemic that we probably would not have bought um, Pre, pre-pandemic, you know, I've asked many people this question, like, what's your best COVID purchase? We've had like bicycles and PS5s and um, pizza ovens. Like, do you have any sort of best COVID purchase that helped you get through the pandemic? That is a great question. Purchases over the pandemic. You know what, because we couldn't go out for so long, I think In between, I actually ended up doing, so I've done a few different trips, but I think, you know, one of my very first trips throughout the pandemic was going out to BC. So I would say purchasing a plane ticket and finally having that feeling like, you know, you can, you can leave, you have to do a COVID test and you have to show your proof of vaccination. But I think it's that moment of, I am finally going to be able to get on a plane again and go somewhere different and not have to quarantine. (laughs) Yes, very true. Um, Is there any place that you're, do you have a, do you have a trip planned anytime soon or? Yeah. I, I actually just came back from Las Vegas uh, a day ago, um, and that was for fitness. Um, I think upcoming, I, I'm going to a destination wedding in Punta Cana in November, and then hoping to do a little bit of a bigger trip come in the new year. So maybe um, down to Fiji or, or somewhere, but that'll be probably within the next eight months or so. I think everybody's got a little bit of a travel itch this year to say like, okay, now because we couldn't, I really want to go. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what's your idea of perfect happiness? When are you the happiest? 
I am the happiest when I am surrounded by and with people that mean a lot to me and that are my support systems in life. And when I can share different experiences with those individuals, so whether it's, you know, my, my partner, I'll give an example. Um, you know, he is now becoming involved with it, with the athletic world and fitness world. And when I'm able to, you know, share my passion with someone that I love so much, that just means the world to me. Um, and being able to, you know, truly divert time socially with individuals that mean so much to you in your life. I think that's something over the pandemic, you know, you can make, you can have a phone call, you can text, but it, it's not the same as those in-person interactions and, and having those experiences, whether you're going for a hike or just completely detaching from social media and digital technologies. I, I think that is something that really has brought along a lot of happiness within the past couple of months, at least I'll say. Ah, oh, lovely. Well, Nicole, you've really had an interesting journey from your days from McMaster and, and a really interesting role. And you've got the PhD and the fitness component and you have promised me that you sleep. So um, let's let I do. Yes. Let's make a date that will uh, meet each other in person one time and and uh, have a have a, a, a chat. But we'll be watching to see what you do next. And, uh, you know, nothing but success I wish for you on your continued journey. Great. No, thank you so much, Karen. It's been so nice to meet you, at least virtually. I know we're over Zoom right now, but hopefully in person. And I I hope that individuals listening have enjoyed it. And if I can answer any further questions in the future, I, you know, encourage anyone to reach out. That's great. Thanks, Nicole. Great. Thanks so much, Karen. Bye.